Our ancestors sailed across oceans in leaky wooden boats and conquered continents. They fed the hungry and healed the sick. They measured the width of the universe and the weight of the atom. They survived 40,000 years of plague, famine, invasions. We will survive nihilism and despair because we are their children. We are Europa's children. Hello, I'm Kanaz Filan, and the existence of our people is not negotiable. Hello, welcome to Europa's Children. Kanaz Filan with you here for our fifth episode, Time Flies When You're Having Fun. And today I wanted to talk to my listeners who are newly red-pilled, my listeners who are nearly red-pilled, my listeners who are curious about this whole dissident right thing, but who are wondering, where do I begin? For many of our supporters and our detractors, our movement begins and ends in David Lane's 14 words. We must secure the existence of our people and a future for white children. And while I think these are fine words and I want to talk more about them in another podcast, I also am aware that the 14 words come with a little bit of baggage. If you say the 14 words, that makes you a neo-Nazi, a white supremacist, you want to lynch black people and gas Jews, and you're really not that interested in any of those things. So, instead of 14 words, let's start with five. It's okay to be white. Not, it's supreme to be white. It's superior to be white. It's better to be white than not to be white. Just, it's okay to be white. And if you can't look at yourself in a mirror and say those words without feeling uncomfortable, you need to ask yourself, why am I ashamed of being white? Why do I feel guilty about being white? Just by refusing to be ashamed, you strike a huge blow against the academic political complex that's trying to foist this toxic ideology on us. For all its concerns about kink shaming and fat shaming and slut shaming and poor shaming, modern leftism is built around white shaming. All their plans for a brave, new, diverse, multicultural, intolerant world hinge on white people feeling bad about themselves and feeling bad about their history. Imagine a workshop called Getting Rid of the Yid. We're not talking about eradicating Jewish citizens or even sending them to Israel. All we want to do is teach them how to be better Americans. We want to show them the social costs of pornography. We want to teach them that loyalty to America has to come before their loyalty to Israel or to the Jewish people. We want to educate them on the role predatory moneylenders and Hasidic slumlords have had in destroying America's inner cities. And then once they recognize their people's role in all these problems and apologize for killing Jesus, they can become allies in our struggle. And right now, my listeners at the ADL are thinking they struck pay dirt. They may even be rubbing their hands together. Oh, wow, we've caught filing at last in open anti-Semitism. Individual Jews should be held responsible for all this. That's, that's anti-Semitism. But yet when we have workshops like Confront White Womanhood, when we have academics talk about deconstructing whiteness and bashing dead white men and living white men, this is seen as acceptable discourse. And when you refuse to engage in this game, when you refuse to play this ritual self-abasement, their whole house of cards comes tumbling down. 
when you refuse to own your privilege, when you refuse to apologize for things you didn't do, you'll find a lot of the loudest leftists don't know how to react. So much gets silenced simply by being declared problematic. Inconvenient data? It's problematic. People who insist on bringing up that data? Problematic. People who refuse to shun, disavow, or silence the people quoting this data? Well, they're problematic too. But when you look at what does problematic mean, it adds up to they have cooties, and if you won't say they have cooties too, you don't get to sit at our cool kids' lunch table. And if you don't care about sitting at the cool kids' lunch table, there's generally very little they can do other than hop up and down and call you rude names. I can't tell you, don't be afraid. James Fields will probably spend the rest of his life in a prison cell for running away from an Antifa mob. People have lost jobs, they've lost families. You can get in an awful lot of trouble for thinking it's okay to be white. And you definitely need to make an honest risk assessment of how going public with our beliefs might affect your job, your academic career, your professional licenses, your relations with your family. But you also have to weigh the costs of doing nothing at all. And I'm not just talking the social costs here. What's the personal cost to you? What's the cost to your soul every time you smile and nod at something you know to be a lie? What's the cost to you every time you stay silent instead of speaking up in the face of injustice because you're afraid for your reputation? And there's no one right answer to this. Everybody's personal situation is different. But I can tell you this, they can't silence all of us. And every time you speak up, every time you provide that example, you just let so many others know they're not alone. Facebook and Twitter have been working overtime to shut down anything that even remotely smacks of white nationalism and white identity. They want you to think that our beliefs are extreme, that they're fringe, they're radical, and they are scared to death that you'll figure out just how mainstream, just how widespread our ideas really are. And if you've been recently red-pilled, you're probably feeling very confused and very vulnerable right now. Leftist ideology and leftist behavior may be inconsistent, but they're consistently inconsistent. There's one problem, oppression. There's one solution, liberation. There's one goal, freedom. Leftist ideology has the support of a social community. It's certainly the dominant paradigm in academia today, for example. The dissident right doesn't have that kind of cultural hegemony. We also have nowhere near the kind of lockstep agreement on doctrinal issues which the left has. People on the dissident right regularly argue about questions like abortion, foreign policy, economics. We regularly have difficult discussions about difficult topics. And this is a good thing, but it can be a very scary thing if you spent your whole life being told what you're supposed to think. Learning authority figures you loved and trusted lied to you is scary. Finding out many of the things you took for granted are wrong is frightening. And discovering how far some people will go to silence the truth and to defend these lies and errors is downright terrifying. And when you find yourself trapped in a complicated, hostile world, it's so tempting to look for simple, easy solutions. 
It's so tempting to pin your hopes on some magical savior who's going to make everything all right. Who's going to stop the one big bad enemy who's responsible for everything that's wrong in your life, everything that's wrong in the world. But down that way only lies disappointment. Look at your friends on the left who spent the last two years convinced Donald Trump was going to be impeached, that the evidence was just around the corner, Think about how many journalists got rich selling that narrative to your friends. Fascism will be averted. Don't worry. The bad orange man is going to be taken out in handcuffs any day now. And remember how disappointed they were when the Mueller report came out and it turned out, no, Donald Trump's not going to get impeached anytime soon. Well, guess what? The plan's not going to come to fruition, and the deep state's not getting frog-marched off to Guantanamo. There's this huge hunger in America across the political spectrum for a great reset. And that's just so, so dangerous when you have a growing number of Americans who have given up on the democratic process, who are willing to listen to somebody who says, I can give you a better world if you'll only let me break a few eggs and kill a few opponents. Well... That never ends well. If you look at 20th century history, some of its nastiest hells were produced by leaders who promised their people heaven on earth. Don't fall for those promises. You might not be able to trust the mainstream media today. Oh, scratch that. You can't trust the mainstream media today. But you can go a long way if you look at current events in the light of history. How did our ancestors survive war, famine, and hardship? And how did they find their way back to peace and prosperity? How did they respond to the potato famine, to the highland clearances, to the century of religious conflicts between Catholic and Protestant leaders that rocked Europe? You're taught about all the horrible things our ancestors did. Learn the glorious things and learn that you are part of that history. You look at the way they're tearing down monuments, they're changing names of buildings, they want to erase history for a brave new future. That makes it all the more important that you know your history, you learn your history, and that you love your history. Usually when you hear white identity nowadays, it's always in the context of hate groups practicing hate speech. And this is a problem, not just because of the way it's used to silence discussions, but because so many young white people are buying into that lie. They go from, I hate white people, white people are the worst, to gas the kikes, race war now, nigger nigger, faggot faggot, throw them off a roof. And these are both deeply rooted in social and personal insecurity. On the left, this kind of ritual self-abasement has been one of the ways you show the world and you show yourself you're one of the good white people. On the right, you see a lot of people using shock value to prove they're not optics cucks, to prove that they're based. They're not afraid to post Shlomo memes and Tyrone Blackman memes to boards where hundreds of other people are posting Shlomo and Tyrone Blackman memes. And yeah, the people that laugh at optics cucks are right. They're going to call us racist no matter what we do. If you're having fun telling racist jokes, have fun telling racist jokes. If they're funny, tell me the racist jokes. But don't kid yourself into thinking you're actually doing anything to change the world.
more than ever, America needs people who are willing to sit down and listen to each other. People of goodwill across the political spectrum, across race, across class. We all desperately need to learn to relearn the art of sitting down like adults and having adult conversations on difficult topics and anything you can do toward that end to create spaces where we can do that. Well, right now, that may be the greatest service you can do your country. And now we come to the point where I'm supposed to offer a sage denunciation of violence and tell you all that bloodshed is never the solution. And you know what? I really wish I could do that. I got a personal stake in securing a future for white children. I have a seven-year-old daughter. The last thing I want is to see her growing up in a war-torn country. We have a generation that learned everything it knows about war from playing video games. There are no regen chambers when you go to war. You don't move up to the next level when you beat the big boss. You die. Sometimes you die horribly. You don't want a war. You may think you do, but you don't want a war. The guy in the Discord chat room going on and on about bombings and shootings is either a fed or he's the kind of idiot that thinks it's a good idea to discuss felonies with total strangers, and either way you need to steer clear of him. I can encourage you, and I do encourage you, to build bridges across communities with people of goodwill. But I also believe the American experiment is going to fall within my lifetime, certainly within my daughter's lifetime. My hope is that this will be a relatively peaceful process, like the dissolution of the former Soviet Union. What I fear, to be frank, what I expect is we will see something more like the fall of Yugoslavia. Long-standing ethnic tensions in our society blow up and lead to civil war. I take no joy in saying this any more than an oncologist rejoices in telling a patient, hey, your cancer has metastasized. But you can't treat your problem until you first acknowledge it. I will do anything I can to reach a peaceful solution. I don't want my daughter growing up hating other people for their race or ethnicity or their religion any more than I want her hating herself for those things. It's my responsibility as a parent to do everything I can to keep my child safe. But it's also my responsibility to teach difficult lessons sometimes. And the lesson I would teach her and the lesson I would teach anybody listening here is that sometimes it's better to die on your feet than to live on your knees. This has been Iropa's Children. Thank you for listening. I'm Kanaz Filan. And remember... The existence of our people is not negotiable. <laughs>